What's up, gals and guys? I'm Brandy with an I, and I'm here on my first episode of Did You Hear the News? If you guys are new and you just happen to stumble across this podcast, number one, welcome. I'm glad you're here. We have a lot of news to talk about because this is a political news commentary podcast. We will have some guests and we will have some roundtables going forward in this podcast. So I'm really glad that you guys decided to give it a listen. Today, it's going to be me going solo dolo talking about the news of the past week. And I really felt like we could not do that without talking about the three eyes, the insurrection, the impeachment, and the inauguration. We had a crazy election cycle in the United States. I think everyone can attest to uh, just how wild everything went. The fact that we are currently dealing with a global pandemic, which the U.S. has not handled well at all, as well as just, you know, a very contentious election to begin with. So we did uh, have an election and we did find out the winner of that election about five days later after all votes were cast and it was not our former president. He did not take that well. Now, anyone who has been alive the last four years probably could have saw that coming. Uh, He did not take it well. He um, was never one to fully admit that he would just move on quietly if he lost in the first place. So uh, what did he do? He went online, as he loved to do, and he... um, got a lot of information from a lot of just random everyday people like you and I who probably have no idea uh, how elections are run, uh, let alone in each state. And he took information that they provided on things that he assumed were fraudulent and he decided to use those as his talking points for the fact that there was obviously some amazingly great fraud in the United States when it came to our elections. Never mind that we had uh, many sources who actually knew what they were talking about that came out and said that there was no widespread election fraud. Uh, the director of cyber uh, security and came out and said, you know, the most secure election we've had in the U.S. like ever. Uh, Justice Department um, Attorney General said, hey, you know, we we did a little, you know, investigation into what we saw or what we heard, and we just do not find any evidence of widespread voter fraud. Now, were there some things that may have occurred? Of course, like uh, a gentleman who voted for our former president uh, under his dead mother's name. Did we find things like that? Yes, of course. But nothing all too crazy that would change the fact that Joseph R. Biden and Kamala D. Harris would become president and vice president on January 20th. But we did not have a foreign president who like facts. He did not care for facts. He was not a stickler for them. His first press conference, as soon as he inaugurated, began with lies. And that's how that presidency ended. So, of course, this former president spent most of his days, most of his time 
trying to delegitimize the election, ginning up his base with conspiracies and and just flat out untruths about the fact that the election was won fair and square. And, you know, it turned into just a hullabaloo of misinformation, which is not surprising. He he was very heavily big on misinformation. Um, and, it, and it just turned into a over boiling of just, you know, people who had listened to this president and had trusted this president who believed that he deserved to be in office, even though uh, in the days after he lost, he completely went missing, you know, did not speak on the current global pandemic that was killing hundreds of thousands of Americans was only focusing on election fraud, even though he was told that there was no election fraud. I mean, he was not alone. He had, you know, members of Senate, the House of Representatives, you know, members in Congress who were actively helping him to uh, spew these lies about election fraud. You know, so if you have someone you believe in and they're telling you, what you want to hear and, and, you know, they're promising you that they've been defrauded and, you know, you need to help them and, and you really, you know, in your heart of hearts believe that to be true. You're going to start feeling a certain kind of way when you start seeing uh, it look like your your leader is day after day slipping out of power. When he had the 60 plus cases that were all overturned in different states and, and mostly only battleground states that he lost, which is very interesting because you have senators and, and Congress people who actually won on those ballots. But for some reason, uh, it was only just the presidential election that was rigged, which makes zero sense. But uh, once again, facts were not uh, a huge deal uh, in this presidency. So once you have a group of people who are are starting to see that day after day, the the further we get in this process, right, we had safe harbor day, which meant, you know, after a certain amount of days, any of the court cases that were complete were good to go. There really couldn't be any action brought against the states. And then you had each individual state certifying their electors you're just seeing that we're inching closer and closer to your president being defrauded and and an election being stolen from him because that's what you told him was happening. So as we're getting closer and closer and this president is beginning to lose power, he starts to flander a bit. He is doing everything he can in every way that he can to overturn this election. And, And it gets to the point where he really finds that he just cannot do it. He has a vice president who, fortunately enough for us, decided that he was going to play by the books. There really was not much he could do anyway, constitutionally speaking. He literally was just a deal or no deal girl. (laughs) You know, he was just there to look good and count the votes. There really was nothing that he could do. However, our previous president fed the lie that our vice president could do something to overturn the election when he really could not. The cards had all been dealt at this point. So in one last ditch effort to get attention and continue the grift, 
our former president got on the internet, got on Twitter, which was, you know, a platform that he loved to frequent. And, you know, days in advance told people to come to Washington, D.C. on January 6th, on that day when the electoral votes would be counted and stand up for him. Stop the steal of the election. And what did they do, do you think? They decided to just, you know, wave it off and instead go to work and be functioning, productive members of society. (laughs) No, that's not what they did. They came to D.C. and they protested in D.C. And we had speeches from current members of Congress, uh, including Mo Brooks. We had speeches by Rudy Giuliani. Fortunately, he had handled that hair dye situation. So he was good to go. Uh, He was good to rattle off. Uh, more conspiracies. Don Jr. also came out and spoke. And then we had our former president come out. And in so many ways, and you know, he likes to use his dog whistles. So in so many ways, he emboldened this group of protesters, telling them that they have to fight. They can't take it back with weakness, you know, really riling them up. And then at the very end... (laughs) At the very end of his speech, he says, hey, let's walk to the Capitol. I'll go with you. It'll be a blast. So he gets all of these protesters that have listened to speech after speech of just shenanigans and lies and just really just war cries, battle cries, you know, to them, to these people. and. Now they've got the directive, right? They heard what they needed to do, and now they've gotten the call. And they answered it. They did not send it to voicemail. They picked it up on the first ring, honey, and they walked down to the Capitol. And what ensued was one of the wildest things I've ever seen occur on uh, U.S. soil, I think besides 9-11, Um, was just a crazy mob of people descended on the Capitol, overtook barricades and fought with police. I mean, fought with police. I mean, beat some police down. Like anything they could find, their Trump flagpoles, police's own weapons, tasers, anything they could find, they fought police. Even mentioning, hey, like, we don't understand. Like, we we back you guys. We were with you guys during, you know, the Black Lives Matter and, you know, when Antifa was, but you guys are not on our side. Like, what's going on? Like, these people were out for blood and they definitely got it. We lost five people that day. Unfortunately, you know, some innocent, some not. Some were involved in the insurrection. And unfortunately, that day, we, we saw just the foundations of white supremacy just coming to a head you know all everything that we thought would happen four years ago when he came down the escalator and said that Mexicans were rapists and we said hey you know that might be a problem and people were like no 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 he'll never make it and and then he made it and then we said hey he could be a problem they said no 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 Checks and balances. And he checked and everything was unbalanced. 
we said, hey, maybe you should like watch what he's doing because he seems a little dangerous. And everybody was like, no, 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 no. Listen, he's good. He's straight. So for anyone who was alive the past five years, including his campaign, you probably weren't surprised at what occurred at the Capitol that day. You were probably stupefied. You were probably perplexed. You were probably befuddled. You were probably making comparisons on, um, you know, how they treated those protesters, insurrectionists, and how they treat other groups of color, especially black and brown groups of people, um, when we're just asking for basic freedoms. You probably noticed that and you probably were just shocked and in awe that that this was happening. I say white supremacy because we know that that's what they're holding on to. They stormed the Capitol. They, you know, made sure to let police know that it's their building. They own it. They're not going to let Congress steal the election from them. They're not going to let them steal their America. You had people yelling profanities and obscenities and slurs. You had a man wearing a Camp Auschwitz shirt. I mean, there was just so much fragile white supremacy on the premises that day. It was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. So... (laughs) In the aftermath of that, we allowed the dust to settle. Unfortunately, it was the black and brown workers in the Capitol who had to clean up the mess after the protesters were politely sent home. And then the FBI finally stepped in and said, hey, we saw that. That was a hot mess. We don't really know what happened. Like, where was National Guard? Who knows? How the Capitol Police not have a handle on it? Who knows? But we're doing our investigations now because we're reactionary. You know what I'm saying? Like those guys committed the crimes. And now here we are to pick up the pieces and determine who needs to get charged. So in the week or so to come, we had, I mean, so many different types of people being arrested or, or, you know, being put on the no-fly list. And I think it's really important that we call that out because there were so many false narratives about who was involved and, you know, what groups they were. Hours later, when they came back to count the Electoral College votes, speaking of which, you know, some members still voted to overturn the election results even after that. But Once everyone finally came back, it was said, oh, well, those were Antifa groups. You know, those are those are Antifa people that uh, infiltrated the crowd. And, you know, those were not Donald Trump supporters. I mean, even though there were Donald Trump flags for miles and miles. I don't know many Antifa, but I would go out on a limb and say that it's quite possible they would not be caught dead uh, waving Trump flags. They would probably rather eat a jean jacket. So, But this was the narrative that was being pushed by Republicans. Matt Gates of Florida, who said, you know, I, well, I have on good authority that these are, these are Antifa people. Or it was, you know, these are just poor people who just feel like they're they're being lost and their voices haven't been heard and you know they're in a bad predicament 
So many different types of people were found to be a part of this capital insurrection. We had CEOs of companies. We had a man who was a father of five, whose wife was a doctor. We had real estate agents who were able to charter private jets to come out. We were seeing the worst parts of white supremacy. And that's not the guys who uh, live in the backwoods and, you know, drive their pickup trucks and set up places that they can practice shooting their weapons when something occurs. These are the people that you probably see or work with every day. The people that are trying to sell you a house or who are, you know, CEOs and in managers of companies that are over, you know, black and brown people and people of color. Like <laughs> that is why I maintain that what happened at that Capitol was very much so the inner and outer workings of white supremacy at work. Uh, those people felt not only emboldened by a president who made it so much easier for them to be there bigoted selves, but uh, just, you know, this want, this feeling that the country's being taken from them and, you know, they have to do everything that they can do to stop it. Uh, not to mention the conspiracy theories like QAnon that, you know, list our former president as some savior who was just going to completely obliterate their enemies and, you know, lay everything bare. It just all came to a head. So in the wake of the insurrection at the Capitol, of course, you know that uh, there have been investigations called um, for those who participated, but also those Capitol police who may have been involved, may have not done their jobs or like who in the upper workings or upper ranks of Capitol Police did not do what they were supposed to do at the time. There are moves and calls to investigate House members who might have been involved, senators who might have incited this insurrection like Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley. You hear allegations that freshmen Rep. Lauren Boebert, who is, you know, Miss I Want to Carry My Gun on the Capitol, um, was giving recon tours. So it's going to take a while to fully understand uh, exactly what happened that day. Um, but more and more information is coming out and, and <laughs> uh, more and more people are basically saying, hey, I went to the Capitol because my president told me so. I'm doing this for my president. This is important to him. And this is what he want us to do. There was even recently a video from the New Yorker that came out where guys are saying, hey, the president sent us here. He's your boss. You know, talking to Capitol Police, he's your boss. He sent us here. And, you know, well, some guys saying, hey, like, what do you think we should do? Like what I think Ted Cruz would love for us to do this, which I would be falling over myself if I were Ted Cruz to actually come out and say, hey, hey, no, 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 that's not my thing. That's not what I did. But as far as I know, we haven't heard a peep about that from Ted Cruz. So uh, just I, I feel like we couldn't talk about what happened last week without talking about the insurrection, because everything that's going to be happening in these weeks to come is definitely going to be linked to that. And so that brings us to our next I, impeachment. So, of course, immediately, okay, 
Nance didn't waste any time. Schumer probably had her on the phone while they were on lockdown and was saying, hey, girl, go ahead and get that impeachment started because of course, right? <laughs> of course, you have a president who incites an insurrection. He needs to be impeached. There's really not a way around it, even though Republicans tried to fight it and said, no, well, maybe we should just censure him. And just the fact that this president had all of five years to do whatever he wanted and get away with it, he finally crosses even the biggest line that he really can't uh, worm his way out of. Because once again, all of those people that were in the Capitol made it very clear who they were storming the Capitol for. So unfortunately, it seems like we still could not see eye to eye even after we had straight up the facts. But it it didn't matter to uh, House Democrats because not even a week after the insurrection, we're going Wednesday to Wednesday, they held a vote. They attempted to give uh, VP Mike, Mike Pence a chance just to invoke the 25th Amendment, which means, uh, which is basically was, it was an amendment that was created uh, after J.F. Kennedy passed away after he was assassinated because his vice president was prone to having, you know, health issues. He had already had like a some strokes, I think. And so, you know, there was concern about, okay, well, what do we do if at certain point the president is not mentally or physically capable of doing this job? And so at that point, the vice president would have to, number one, you know, make a make a motion that, hey, you know, the president's not well. He's not good. Like, he can't handle this. And then he would have to get half of the cabinet members to also sign on and say, hey, something, something's amiss here. This guy's no good. Now, there is a chance for the president to be like, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm straight. I don't even know what they're talking about. Like, I'm a-okay over here. And then at that point, Congress would have at least 21 days to basically do, you know, an investigation to say, hey, like, who's right? Like, are you guys trying to get over on the president or is he really not mentally stable enough to do this job? At which the vice president would basically still hold power until Congress voted on whether or not um, the president was able to serve or not. So Nancy called the vice president out and told him, hey, 24 hours, which to me was very formal because as I mentioned, it said happened a week ago and the vice president was not only at the Capitol, but his wife was there. If I'm not mistaken, his daughter was there. He was at the Capitol with his family and the president at the time did not call him, did not make a point to check on him, had to be talked into even sending National Guard help, knowing his vice president was in the Capitol that people were storming. So had it been me, it would have been done, okay? It would have been done, son. But that's why I'm not the vice president of the United States and I'm not in the running anytime soon. So basically, Nancy gave him, you know, 24 hours to do that. He rebuffed it. I think he might have sent her a note and said, hey, like, I don't have any plans on doing that, which he's better than me. I will continue to say that, but only in that way, not many others. So 
Nancy did what she had to do. They held a vote. Now, I thought it was interesting that they, when they voted for whether to vote for impeachment, I don't think any Republicans voted for the vote, right? But once they held the actual vote to impeach, and I mean, this is after... I think almost four, three or four hours of each side going back and forth saying whether or not they believe that he should be impeached or not. You know, a lot of Republicans saying unity, 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 which I think is crazy because it seems we're already divided, you know, at this point. When we have a group of people storming the Capitol yelling, hang uh nancy and hang pence or you know where's nancy or you know trying to kill people in the capital or take them hostage at best i think we're already divided and i think the issue here is trying to unite with racists and insurrectionists that I, that's what i think i don't know i don't know nobody asked me but that that was just almost every Republican argument that, yeah, sure, what he did was wrong, but we need to move on. Like, we are over this. We're better than this. Like, we need to move on from this. We have a new president coming, even if I myself voted to overturn, you know, the electoral college votes. That doesn't matter. We just need to get, we just need to get over it all. And I found that just to be, um, type insane uh, because of the fact that once again for five years we had been getting over everything that this previous president had done we you know we got over him mocking a disabled person or or him calling african and uh south american countries assholes for lack of better uh, phrasing i mean we had gotten over a lot of things right you know i'm saying you know when when black lives matter was marching and protesting this summer they were thugs and you know when the looting started the shooting should start um so we had gotten over a lot of things but at the point when you incite a violent mob to go kill people i'm not gonna mince words kill people because that's what some of them had in their mind that they should do you don't hang a noose for fun i know that you know, there's some back and forth on that about whether that's a thing or not. But you don't hang up nooses for fun, right? So I think at that point, it just, to me, felt like there was no reasoning with these guys. And that was okay because all of the people that were there, that were all of the Democrats that were there voted for. And then you had your 10 Republicans who voted for it as well, like Liz Cheney, Mitt Romney, Adam Kissinger, um, Pete Mayor, Major, who was actually a, a freshman uh, representative who, you know, all of these 10 <laughs> representatives, of course, are catching flack now. Um, they already have people who are ready to challenge them in the primaries just because they did the right thing. That's where we are in America, right? If you do the right thing, you get attacked, unfortunately, which is is why I think most of the people in the Republican Party are definitely afraid of going against the previous president because of the influence that he does have, unfortunately, on that party. And, you know, a lot of them are just afraid of the death threats of, you know, people 
constantly calling and harassing and hounding them of their colleagues being on their back. I mean, a lot of Republicans are now asking Liz Cheney to step down from like her role in, in, uh, you know, as number three Republican, which is insane because she did what she was supposed to do. Ethically speaking, she did what she was supposed to do. I don't have it in me to just get over someone sending a violent mob to try and kill me. I, I've seen the pictures. I think it's wild. I've seen the video. I've seen the the people hiding on the floor or, you know, people were under desks trying not to make a sound. Unless I knew that those people were specifically on my side, I don't know how I could get over my president someone I'm supposed to basically be working with, uh, sending a group of violent people to come to my job and kill me. I don't think I can be able to get over it, but Republicans are like really good at being like, "Mm -hmm, we'll see. So that's where we landed with impeachment. It happened. There was a vote. Now the, the reasons against impeachment have moved from Oh, it's going to cause extra division to, oh, well, is it constitutional? Like, he's already out of office. I mean, what's it going to do now? But a a lot of people in the law community are arguing kind of amongst themselves about the constitutionality of the impeachment. They're saying that, well, even if he was convicted, you know, the former president could possibly if he has a good enough legal team to do this and they've fallen apart. So I'm not sure who his legal team will be, but if he has a good enough legal team and he is convicted, they could argue that it's unconstitutional. It could go to the Supreme Court. But other And, you know, people in the law community are arguing that, no, it is constitutional. We have precedent for it. We might not have had impeached a president after he was gone, but we have had people who have been in office that weren't necessarily presidents, but have been impeached even after they resigned. So there's clearly precedent. It can happen. People say, well, well, what will it help? Well, if he is convicted and a vote is held um, just a majority vote, not even a, a two-thirds majority, but a, a, just a ma- majority vote is held. It can be voted on that he not hold office again. He can be banned from office. So what could happen, nobody knows. But I think personally, just moving on is not accountability. And it's been said many times this past week, of course, that there's no unity without accountability. For all the people who gave so much on that day, who had to fight for their lives, who were afraid for their lives, like to just move on like it didn't happen is a no-go. Uh, for all of us law-abiding citizens who have seen how other groups are treated when they're only asking for civil rights, it's a slap in the face to not even want to hold uh, this former president accountable for his actions. I mean, this summer we saw a young girl who was being held in jail without bail because she basically hosted a protest and due to no fault of her own, some parts of it might have gotten unruly. There may have been someone hit by a car. Don't quote me on that, but... There were some issues that happened due to no fault of her own and she was basically held accountable for them. 
And we would have a president who very openly in front of our eyes, everything he's done for the past five years has been in front of our eyes, very openly told a group of people what to do and they did it. And he needs to be held accountable for it. And then there's also a, needs to be accountability for senators like Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley, who threw up the power fist to protesters on that day, who continuously backed these ridiculous claims of voter fraud. Kevin McCarthy, who has flip-flopped more than a seesaw in these past few days. Oh, I talked to him and he's aware that he has no responsibility. And now he's at, I don't see any reason that he should be held accountable for that. He wasn't responsible for that. Like, we see you. It's 2021. Everything is on video, in print, in picture. We see, do you, do you not think we don't see you? And that's how I felt the past five years. So what will happen now? The articles of impeachment will be sent to the Senate on Monday. That is today, if you're listening today, uh, when this podcast drops. And then what will happen is the Senate, very graciously, if I might add, will allow each side two weeks to get everything together and get their briefings in. It's not really known who's going to represent the former president. Most anyone credible has kind of fleed from, you know, any representation of him. Uh, Rudy Giuliani has said, hey, I can't represent him because I was there that day and I spoke and, you know, I was kind of involved, so he might be charged too one day, but who knows? So he said, I can't represent this guy. So we don't know who's going to represent the former president. I'm sure he'll find someone who's probably just as crazy and nutty as he is, and they'll get it done. Once that happens, they have those two weeks to get their briefings in, and then the impeachment trial will start on February 8th. And... (laughs) Honestly, truly, if you would ask me today what I thought if he was going to be convicted, I really don't have an answer. I mean, we we continuously hear these reports that even Mitch McConnell very openly came out and said this former president is responsible. He incited it. He's the one who sent these people here. But you still have senators, Republican senators who are like, hmm. I don't think I'll impeach him. Uh, And then you hear whispers that, you know, there's everyone's kind of talking about, you know, we should do it. We should we should vote to impeach. You know, Mitch McConnell wants him gone. So at, at the end of the day, they've been asked to vote their conscience. I just don't know if some of these people have them. Honestly, truly, I just I just don't. It's the hold that the former president has on that party. It's the, the, it's the wild, like, I don't even know how to say it. Like, it's, it's the obsession with holding on to power, even if you have to go about it in the dirtiest of ways. I, it just, I think it would be a miracle. In order for him to be convicted, all 50, Democrats would have to vote for it, and then 17 senators, uh, Republican senators, would also have to vote to impeach. And unfortunately, that 
doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a very high hill to climb. So uh, we will see. We'll just keep our eyes and ears open um, in the next few days and weeks and we'll see how it goes. I mean, honestly, I don't know who that two weeks is going to help more. If it would be the former president or, you know, the team that is building a case against him every day, it seems like something new is coming out. There's new footage. There's someone's legal counsel going on, you know, the news and saying, well, my client only did it. Because the president told him to, which was exactly the QAnon shaman who was wearing the fur and the horns and who went to jail and would not eat because the food was not organic. His lawyer actually went on uh, CNN with Chris Cuomo and said that, you know, hey, my client is a good guy. He wasn't hurt a fly, but he's passionate. Everyone knows it. And he did what he thought he was supposed to do because the president told him so. And if the president is as good a man as he thinks he is, he should pardon him. Yes, they're asking for pardons. They didn't get them, but they were asking for them. And that has uh, quite a few people in an uproar uh, now that he's out of office. So with that being said, we'll segue into the third eye inauguration inauguration day i had a little anxiety i couldn't stare at the tv forward facing because i was just afraid at any moment the bullets would start flying after we saw what happened at the capitol i just i had concerns i know that there were national guard members there i mean about five times the national guard members then are we actually have troops in afghanistan and iraq so i I knew that there was this beefing up of security and, and and troops but honestly truly after the fact that we found out that there were so many people in the army and so many you know police officers that were actually involved in the capital riots it just kind of felt like we couldn't trust really anybody the fbi was doing background checks on national guard members actually 12 of them were asked to um leave uh, ahead of inauguration because of things that were found on you know their social medias or their ties to right-wing groups or extremist groups so there was just a lot of anxiety in me about the safety of everyone there especially the black people but it actually went well I still maintain that it could have been on zoom but it went off I'd like to say without a hitch so the morning of inauguration uh the former president left the white house he flew to joint base andrews which is also in washington a short way away from the white house but he flew there to where he was gonna board air force one so that he could go back to florida he did not want to return to florida as a private citizen he He didn't want the send-off. He wanted to leave as the commander-in-chief. And sure, whatever at this point, you know, do what you have to do. So he did send out invites to his send-off to quite a few people, even some that, you know, he no longer was on good standing with. I think Anthony Scaramucci mentioned he was pretty confused to have gotten an invite. So was John Bolton. A a lot of confusion there, but I think they just kind of replied all 
on the email. So needless to say, those guys were not there and, and neither was the former vice president who had made it clear that he would be attending the inauguration because he's an actual adult who understands how politics work and he was a lot gracious um, in losing than his running mate. He flew to Joint Base Andrews to a crowd of people. If I'm not mistaken, it was mentioned that they might have been bussed in. I know his children were there. You saw them mostly out of um, anyone else in the crowd, but there there were people there. It was, was a, as big a crowd as I'm sure he wanted, but, but they were there. They got on stage. The first lady said a few words about how this has been the honor of her life. And, you know, she just, loves us so much and be best and then he got up and he just like like he normally does he just told so many lies including the fact that his first lady is just so popular she's just leaving so popular which is absolutely not true because he and she both left with the lowest approval ratings of a president and a first lady and honestly truly hers probably came off the strength of her terrible Christmas decorations, if I had to be clear on that. So he gives his speech and then he boards Air Force One and he takes off to the soundtrack of Frank Sinatra's My Way. And that is the last we have seen of this man since Wednesday morning around 8.30 a.m. Now, am I complaining? No, not at all. Am I nervous? I'll tell you a tiny bit. But honestly, truly, these days, I like them to be former president free. So that occurred. And as gracious as President Biden is, he let that happen. He let him get his last moment of shine off of the office of the president. And then he went to a Catholic mass service. If you did not know, Joe Biden is Catholic he is very devout, practicing Catholic. He goes to church. In town, out of town, he goes to church. He is a God-fearing man, and he believes in the power of Jesus and forgiveness. And that's probably why he invited Nancy, Chuck, Mitch, and Kevin, who all attended. Everybody needs a little Jesus. Everybody needs a little Jesus and a little repenting could have been done for the past four years. So they went to church, of course, along with the vice president and her husband, first, second gentleman, Doug Imhoff. They were all there. And that, that's how you get the day started, with a little Jesus and a little repentance. And then, of course, around two hours later, two, three hours later, we see the star-studded event begins with people starting to show up, like the former president bush clinton obama michelle obama has on an outfit that has just really taken over the internet her hair was just laid to the gods and goddesses her hairstylist has gotten so much shine off of those curls so yeah we saw all the pleasantries we saw bernie everywhere 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 but in office we saw just so many wonderful people at an event outside spread out because of covid when it could have been a zoom no offense it was beautiful i loved it the poet laureate we have to talk about her for a second beautiful young african-american lady also mentioned that she had a speech impediment that she just got over maybe a year or so ago i think she said 
wonderful, beautiful young lady had her chance at the inauguration. We had a couple prayers, one of them very, very long. I tried to hold it, but I was on the clock and it was just a really long prayer. We saw Lady Gaga with a bird on her shoulder. A lot of people likened it to Hunger Games. We saw J-Lo, a vision in white, sing uh, America the Beautiful. She threw in a little, a little Spanish and a little let's get loud, which of course, why not? It's your time, J-Lo. Do what you do. All in all, it was... It was as magical as you would want for, you know, such a historical day where we have the first black woman being inaugurated as a vice president, first woman of Indian descent. And it was just, it was beautiful. It could have been a Zoom. There was also a parade which was uh, not like our, your normal parade where there would be tons of people out and about admiring the new president and vice president. Uh, it was once again, COVID event. So that was scaled down pretty much, but they got out of the cars. Oh my God, my anxiety when they got out of the cars, y'all. <sighs> but they survived. Thank goodness. I was nervous. I still am. I'm still on alert because I don't know what these white supremacists are planning but i was nervous but they made it they each made it to the white house went to their respective parts their offices and it was beautiful it was a beautiful day then there was you know a concert that did happen also could have mostly been zoom but it wasn't all but it could have mostly been zoom but it was very beautiful it ended with fireworks with Katy perry singing fireworks outside i think she's prego i was kind of sad they had her outside but whatever beautiful fireworks i mean amazing fireworks insane fireworks they were awesome and then that was the end of the night i think it was a beautiful day it was a beautiful day kind of felt like a weight was lifted Never really even noticed that there were like 20,000 troops there. Of course, we did notice the Secret Service all around, which once again, I'm I'm still nervous. I don't know who to trust. I have trust issues. We did see Officer Eugene, the Capitol officer, who actually helped to divert protesters away from members of Congress. We saw him in his new position. He got a promotion and he was actually escorting Kamala that day. So it was beautiful. It was just a beautiful day. It just felt so nice. There were little snow flurries in D.C., but you know, I'm in South Florida, so it really didn't matter to me, but it was just a beautiful day that could have been on Zoom, and I'm just really happy that it happened, and we got it out of the way because I was ready for him to put in the work. President Biden, in his speech, did a wonderful job in talking about uniting. He also mentioned how we need to, of course, fight back against white supremacy and white supremacy extremists, which the FBI has confirmed is the biggest threat, the biggest domestic threat in the U.S., white supremacist extremists. Of course, he had to mention that in his speech. Now, if you are someone like Senator Rand Paul, who hates when white supremacists are being called out because you probably are one, you didn't like the speech. Uh, that's right. Senator Rand Paul had a problem with uh, Joe Biden's speech. He felt the need to say that, hey, like, I felt like he was talking to 
Me? Maybe? I don't know. It's just crazy wow. But anyways, it was it was filled with unity. And once again, I just, I'm tired of hearing about unity. Like I get it. We're divided. But I feel like when we say unity, we need to talk about who needs to unite. I don't think it's black and brown people uniting with white supremacists and racists and terrorists. I'm going to call me crazy because I have been called crazy before. But I don't think that that's the unity that, that we need. Now, maybe, maybe in the white community, there needs to be, you know, more unity against white supremacy. Maybe maybe that's what we're asking for. It doesn't feel like it though. I mean, that's part of my issue is it, it feels like when we say unity, it's going to be the oppressed that has to do the work. For some reason, America has this extreme obsession with the oppressed being the ones to make it right with the oppressor. And I just think that maybe no, maybe no, not this time. Maybe no, maybe We need to let white Americans work on the division when it comes to white supremacists and allies, you know, those who are not white supremacists. Maybe you guys need to work on that and then come check us out after you did. That's just an idea. You don't have to use it. It's just a suggestion. So... If you got anything from inauguration, you know that Joe Biden wants us to be united and he's going to really try to work on that. And kudos to him because I haven't seen anything before inauguration or in the days after that would suggest that everyone wants to be united. So now we're going to talk about what's currently happening post-inauguration. So competency transparency. It's all out for everyone to see. And I appreciate it. It feels like a weight has been lifted. It feels like I might really can just rest a little bit easy knowing that competent people are back in the White House and in the committees and And are handling things. People that actually know. Like people who have done this for years. Who know what they're talking about. Who know the processes. And it just. It just makes me feel so great. So Dr. Fauci is back baby. He's telling us the science. He's letting us know that maybe in his past role. He didn't get a chance to say what he needed to say. But today's a new day. He's going to let y'all know what's up. We have the normal scandals that are, you know, just nonsensical, like the fact that Dr. Jill Biden had a Peloton and Joe Biden might have been wearing a Rolex watch at um, inauguration. And I, I don't understand why Dr. Jill can't have a Peloton and President Biden can't have a Rolex. I mean, any day you want to wear your Rolex to flex. It should be inauguration day. So I don't even get why that's a big deal. I mean, honestly, the previous president had like a gold penthouse. Like he peed in toilets of gold. He was a self-proclaimed, and that needs to be researched, but self-proclaimed billionaire. So if President Biden wants to flex on his inauguration day, I think it's okay. If 
Dr. Jill Biden wants to ride her Peloton in the White House. I think it's okay. I think it's all right. I mean, we already know these people aren't poor. So why does it matter if he wears a Rolex? I don't know. Maybe that's the maybe that's the tan suit scandal. Maybe that's that'll be his tan suit and we can just move on to actually getting things done, which is what President Biden has started doing. I mean, first day in office, he has already started signing executive orders to reverse a lot of Trump era things. I mean, baby boy was like, I'm not even taking a break. Like I already walked here with my family, but I sent them the other way. I'm in the over office. I got my pens out. I'm doing what needs to be done. And he started signing executive orders, like 17 in the first day. Altogether, at this point of recording, he signed like 30, 31 executive orders, all for different things. So let's run through a few of them really quickly. For coronavirus, he wants to accelerate the manufacturing delivery of supplies like vaccines, uh, PPP. He wants to amp up, ramp up testing. Thank goodness. I mean, the fact that we're a year in and testing is still in shambles blows my mind. But here we are. Um, he wants to, you know, get guidance on how to safely reopen schools which once again you know president biden has always said he's not about shutting the economy down but he's about trying to figure out how we can get these things open safely and that's all we ask like if you're going to send kids to school you need to do it safely like you need to be able to have them in an environment you can trust they're safe now if they get there and they decide to swap masks with timmy i there's really nothing you can do. But other than that, you want to make sure that the teachers and the staff have everything that they need to ensure that the children are safe and secure and the teachers and the staff. So kudos to him for that. Of course, he wants to make sure that you're wearing a mask in airports or, you know, other places of transportation, trains, planes, buses, all of that interstate travel. He wants to make sure that you are wearing your mask because it's a big deal. He also wants to make sure that uh, if you're traveling into the United States, you have proof of a negative COVID test. (sighs) Now, COVID testing to me feels like I saw someone say testing for COVID to prevent COVID is like taking a pregnancy test to prevent pregnancy. Like, it's reactionary, right? You need to do, you know, the first few things like social distance, wear a mask, wash your hands. Those are the preliminary things. So I understand making sure that you're not allowing people to come into the U.S. if they are COVID positive. Totally understand that. But also, once again, people wear your mask and wash your hands. It's just not that hard, which once again, he's he's launching this 100 day, you know, masking challenge. It really only requires mask and physical distancing in federal buildings. He really can only do so much uh, on that one. Federal buildings, federal land, and government contractors. Urgent. He's asking politely and nicely for, you know, state and local governments to mandate masks as well. Now, if you live in Florida like me and you have a governor who doesn't give a darn about you, you probably won't see a mask mandate. It's going to be up to you to take that personal responsibility. And why not? Why not? Why not? Just do it for other people. If you don't care about yourself, just try to be just try to be decent for other people. Just try to be considerate for other people. Anyways, 
Also, it's related to coronavirus. Um, Dr. Fauci, the Fauci, he also spoke with the World Health Organization and he let them know, hey, we're not going to leave the organization. We're going to stay in. And then he also became the head of the delegation to the WHO. So those are important things that have been signed executively for coronavirus. Of course, he has that $1.9 trillion bill. I think it is that he really wants Congress to come together on on and I just all these all these urges for togetherness I feel like unfortunately they're just delaying the inevitable like I don't I don't think Republicans are gonna have a problem with actually helping people but I just don't think they'll vote for it when it comes to Republicans it's all about deficit 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 even though the previous president like totally ran it up like now that you want to do something to actually help citizens we're poor and the richest nation in the world so we'll see how that goes but in terms of economy of course he signed an executive order to extend the moratorium on evictions and foreclosures until the end of March at least um, he extended the pause on um, student loan payments and interest thank goodness because a lot of us just want those loans to go away. Lizzie, Bernie, AOC, call them. Call them. I know you guys are saying it on Twitter, but call them, please, for us. Anyways, they're also going to restore collective bargaining power for workers and, you know, change the minimum wage for federal jobs to 15%. There's also calls for assistance to people who are struggling with food, who still haven't gotten their second stimulus check money or maybe even the first one. Of course, there was a push to make sure that people who were married to illegal immigrants were able to get a stimulus. I know a lot of people misconstrue that or confuse that with illegal immigrants are getting stimulus money. Like, no, that's not the case. They, they pay taxes, but they don't even file taxes. So like, no. For people who are actually citizens and, and are married to illegal immigrants, unfortunately, they did not get their stimulus money. So there, I think there was in the last stimulus bill or uh, the relief bill a push for those people to get money. But there are still people who were supposed to get money who haven't gotten money. There were kerfuffles with the companies that, you know, many filed taxes with. Somehow the money went to them. I, I don't even know how that happens. But he's trying to make sure that people get their stimulus. The one that already went out. We're not talking about the 2000 or 1400 or whatever everyone's debating. He's talking about the money that's already gone out to people and the people who still haven't gotten that. He's also working to make food affordable and, you know, give out more food stamps. People are in food lines daily, weekly. People who've never had to go to food lines, numbers are exploding by like 200, 400% at food banks. So he's trying to make sure that people are fed and they're getting the relief that they deserve. In terms of the environment, we have rejoined the Paris Climate Accord. If you don't know what the Paris Climate Accord is, like some of our senators who for some reason think it only affects people in Paris, the Paris Climate Accord is just an agreement that says, hey, we all have a responsibility to make sure that we take care of our environment. We're all sharing the same world. So we rejoined that. And once again, that's not only for people that live in Paris, it's for people that are under the same 
ozone. Anyways, then he also canceled the Keystone XL pipeline. So that was a pipeline that was designed to come from Alberta, Canada into Nebraska and then connect with other pipelines. And the reason it was debated so heavily is because, of course, that's like dirty oil, like it's not safe. And of course, what happens with pipelines, most of the time they burst. So uh, a lot of people, you know, of, of course, people who are very passionate about the climate, we're like, hey, like, we don't want that pipeline. Now, that did kind of disappoint or upset the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, who has grown out a beard for COVID and it's really agreeing with him. He and Joe Biden have spoken since and I think President Joe Biden has made it clear to him that number one, it was a promise to those that voted for him that he would do that, but he's also looking for other ways to essentially buy America. Like that's his thing that we want American products. We want American jobs. He's thinking about, you know, trying to make sure that the American citizens are thought of first, which I understand. So of course, there are going to be more talks about that between the two of them. That's going to be something that we'll keep our eye out on, um, especially because it, it seemed like a kind of just a knee-jerk reaction. And, uh, you know, we are close with Canada. We do normally have good relations with them. So we'll see what that evolves into. As far as equity goes, he rescinded the 1776 Commission, which is just a wild uh, document that was created by, you know, some conservative Caucasian American men uh, that basically promoted patriotic teaching or patriotic education and kind of whitewashed is the best way to say um, American history to kind of paint the founders in a, a better way and to further the narrative that there is no systemic uh, racism or inequality, which we all know to not be true. He signed an executive document to prevent workplace discrimination against sexual orientation or gender identity. He also wanted to make sure that executive branch appointees sign ethics pledges to bar them from acting in personal interests and required them to uphold, you know, the independence of the Justice Department. Uh, in the last, <laughs> the last administration, we saw a president who believed that the Justice Department belonged to him. It was his and they were to do his bidding and you know president biden has been very open about the fact he wants to make sure that the justice department is a separate entity and they're free to do what they do on their own accord and and without any um type of coercion or participation from him which i think is a wonderful thing um especially when you're trying to use it to commit fraud so Thanks for that, Joe. As far as immigration goes, he fortified DACA, which was, you know, <laughs> for a very long time under intense scrutiny and kind of unsafe from our current, our pr- previous president. So he has made sure that um, he has protected undocumented people who are brought in the country as children. He also is trying to uh, make sure that there is a pathway for them to become citizens, if I'm not mistaken, or for, um, of course, like refugees and stuff that come up uh, or, you know, 
undocumented immigrants that are here. He wants to create a pathway for them to become citizens. Also, he reversed restrictions on Muslim countries of, you know, travel from Muslim countries. It wasn't called the Muslim ban by the previous president, but that's what it became known as unaffectionately uh, because all of the countries that were listed were Muslim majority countries. So I think you know what that means. He wants to extend deferrals of deportation and make sure that there are safe havens here for immigrants and refugees, uh, at least until June 30, 2022. I think a lot of uh, what's going on with immigration is we just kind of need to know what all has been happening in the previous administration. I mean, children were taken from their parents families were split up and we have hundreds of children who have not yet been reunited so i think that will work to kind of help out that situation and determine you know what's what with that and then also he has terminated the national emergency declaration for funding of the uh, the border wall so you know construction will halt there which once again Of course, I mean, billions of dollars have gone into that wall. Mexico has not paid any dollars for them as the previous administration promised they would, um, even though we knew that that was not true. And so did they. Um, The American people have funded that border wall, unfortunately. It it really wasn't a, a building of a wall so much as it was a reinforcement of what was there i think for all of the hundreds of miles of wall that are quote unquote completed not much of them were actually new wall um so yeah i think it's just time for us to get over the sham that is the border wall but yeah a lot of things he's doing a lot of things in his first few days in office it's only been at this point maybe three or four days but we've seen a lot more work being done in these past few days than we've seen the last few months COVID has been ravishing the U.S. for almost a year now and the last few months have been even deadlier than the months before and unfortunately we did not have a president who was concerned about that his concern was about returning a, a free and fair election so it's really so refreshing to see a new administration come in they're holding press conferences with not only you know his communications team but his covid team they're making sure they're telling us even if it's not pretty we're going to give you the information like it's a hot mess we didn't receive a vaccination plan at all we're kind of having to do a lot of this from scratch like it's just so good to know that like we're getting information because for a while it was just press conferences with lies and untruths and half-truths and misleading information so it's just it's been a great first few days of course of course of course we're going to have to do what we need to do to make sure we're holding president biden and, and vp harris 
to the fire for the things that they've promised us. And once again, I continue to say, contact your representatives and make sure that you are looking into these organizations in which you know you can use your voice and you can be heard. Use your Twitter. This new administration might not use Twitter in the same way that, you know, our last president did, but use all of the items at your disposal to make sure you're holding these people to account. Joe, Joe, Joe. We want you to get rid of student loans. All of them. Get rid of them all. Listen, if we can give tax cuts to the rich who fared out much better than all of us in a pandemic where people lost their jobs, lost their homes, lost their cars, lost their everything, lost their families. If they can continue to make billions of dollars, like you can get rid of these student loans. If you would actually tax them what they owe, you can get rid of these student loans. So I don't want to, I'm just tired of hearing we don't have the money. We, we can't pay for that. Someone's going to have to pay for it. And it's like, why does it always have to be us regular folks that have to pay for it? Like, why not the billionaires who could contribute and not even notice who would still be billionaires even after they actually paid a fair share of taxes? Anyways, that's me on my soapbox and I'm getting off for the day. So what should we keep an eye out for in these next few weeks? Of course, once again, you know, we have impeachment coming up. We have, (laughs) we have to see how Congress is going to work together. Unfortunately, right now, There is a power struggle uh, as it relates to the power sharing agreement. Mitch McConnell wants the Democrats to put it in writing that they're not going to mess with the filibuster. And Chuck Schumer is holding his ground and I really do appreciate it. I hope it doesn't get to a point where we're like, how long is this going to go on? Like, let's just give in because... It's definitely a power move um, on Mitch McConnell's part. Basically, he's he understands that his powers are now limited. So he's he's trying to make one last grab. Once again, unity lasted for so long, you guys. It just went I, not even 24 hours. But I think that is definitely a, um, a record. With all those things <laughs> to be ironed out, there's also... A new move to get rid of Citizens United. And that was introduced by um, U.S. Rep. John Katko, Reps. Ted Deutsch, Jim McGovern, and Jamie Raskins. And so what they want to do is overturn the Citizens United decision. If you're not familiar with Citizens United, it was a Supreme Court ruling in the case Citizens United versus the Federal Election Commission. And it basically got rid of finance restrictions that enabled corporations and other outside groups to spend money on elections. So back in the day, you could create a political action committee. Um, It was basically an organization that raised and spent money for campaigns that support or oppose political candidates and and legislation and and ballot initiatives and all of that. They were permitted to donate directly to a candidate's official campaign, but they also had limits, of course, in terms of, you know, what they can receive from individuals who are, you know, giving and then what they can pay to candidates. They really could only give like five 
thousand dollars per year to a candidate per election basically that's like that's an example so when citizens united basically won their case in the supreme court in which they were like no like we as corporations would like to give that open basically a opportunity for super PACs to be created and at that point there was really no regulation you can give however much money you wanted like to whomever you wanted to give it to. And it just really caused crazy problems with our elections and how they're run. I mean, even with these super PACs, you're able to basically independently produce ads and stuff that promoted or attacked specific candidates. And generally, most super PACs are white because they're basically the top 1% of, you know, people who have the money. And of course, that's not black and brown people. So it's like a small group of Caucasian Americans that are wielding this money and this power over our elections. It also, you know, led to dark money, which is basically, you know, spending on an election and not necessarily saying, you know, where the money came from. And the reason that Citizens United created a jump in dark money is because that it often came from nonprofits and nonprofits don't have to disclose who their donors are. So it's just, It needs to go. I think um, when we hear election fraud or like anything in terms of cheating in elections, I think that we focus on the overt and not the covert. And I think that this is one of those covert things. It's not necessarily cheating because it's not against the law, but it's just another way that elections can be influenced in a way that doesn't help the average American. I mean, of course, it it leads to ways that, you know, we can have foreign interference. Negative ads, once again, from outside entities. Like, not everyone should have the chance to even talk to, like, our American constituents. Some might say I probably shouldn't even have a chance to talk to you, but I, I definitely probably should not be able to create ads and just say anything and everything I want against a candidate, of course, you know. So, I, I just think that it's definitely something that I hope gains traction and I hope that it's it's really something that we can get rid of. I think we've seen in the last few years how money has just really heavily influenced our elections in the worst ways possible. So Democracy for All is the name of the amendment and it has three sections. Section one says that Congress and the states can regulate and set reasonable limits on the raising and spending of money by candidates and others to influence elections. The second part is that Congress and states need to be able to distinguish between natural persons and corporations. Is this a individual or like is this money coming from a huge corporation and then in doing that they also want to ensure you know limits on campaign spending won't also affect the press's ability to report on campaigns and elections of course we have a free press so they want to make sure that there's not only you know limits to spending but there's also transparency on you know how this money is spent where this money is coming from we don't want situations like here in Florida where we had candidates that lost and then 
there were candidates on the ballots that were tied to dark money initiatives where you couldn't even find the candidate. They'd never been seen in person. Their name might have been fake. We don't want to continue seeing that, especially in our local elections. Once again, like I said, cheating occurs, but it's in the most covert ways to which people use legal laws in order to, I feel like, defraud the normal American people out of their actual right and freedoms to vote and, you know, the fairness of actual elections. These are the things we need to be concerned about, not 5,000 dead people voting in Georgia. Anyways, so if you are really concerned about Citizens United and you don't think that super PACs of highly influential and super rich people should have the the chance to influence elections, make sure that you're reaching out to your reps to let them know, hey, you support overturning Citizens United. There are so many ways to reach out to your reps. There's an app that I use all the time. It's called ResistBot. I love using ResistBot because I can kind of just type whatever in it and it will just automatically type up response to my representatives. Of course, you'd have to give your personal information, your zip code, so it knows who your representatives are, who your senators are or whatnot. But There are so many different ways to easily reach out to your representatives if you don't want to call them, if you don't want to type up an email. There are so many different ways to reach out. So I want to make sure that we as the American people understand that if we don't lend our voice to what we find to be important. They're just going to do what they want to do. So make sure your reps know what you really want. It's their job to represent their constituents. And you hear it all the time. You probably heard it if you listened in on impeachment. Well, my constituents feel like, you know, the election wasn't fair. Well, that's because they were lied to, but that's their job to make sure that they're listening to their constituents. So make sure that when your Congress people say that they're listening to you, it's on things that really matter to you. And that's my final two cents. So once again, I want to thank you guys for listening to my first episode of Did You Hear the News? I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys will join me again. You can follow wherever you listen to podcasts. I do have a Facebook page. Did you hear the news? That's D-I-D-J-A. Hear the news. You can definitely follow me there. The Facebook page is where I share daily updates and news as it's breaking. So if you don't want to miss that during the week, be sure to follow the Facebook page. Thanks. And I hope I see you guys next week on Did You Hear the News?